I'm sorry, but if you watch the video of from CES of the Mobileye um, camera-only vehicle uh, driving through Tel Aviv, if you slow that down and take a close look, there's some behavior in there that if you saw it in a Tesla ed, you'd write another book. Hello and welcome to the Autonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director for Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I am Kirsten Korosek, the senior transportation reporter at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the No Parking Podcast and producer of Apex, the secret race across America. Hey, everybody. Hi. Hey. Where are we starting today? Well, I mean, you know, Kirsten's favorite topic always has to come first. And uh, Battery Day was uh, oh. made made quite a little splash, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my favorite topic, Tesla. All right. Well, let's let's just address this now because, you know, it just happened. It needs to be addressed. To ignore it would be silly. Yeah. Here's here's my reaction. Um, <laughs> that was the market's reaction, Alex. Yeah. And um, all right. So my favorite hot take was that that people aren't excited because they just don't understand it. Yeah. And so I'm going to just like, you know, put a little cold water on that. I've spoken in the past week to people who I would qualify as some of the top battery researchers in the in the country and who are actively working on battery tech. And you can easily put this in, well, they're going to cast shade on Tesla. But basically what they said to me in so many words were the statements were a bit of head scratchers um, and that really there lacked details and that this to them seemed more like a pronouncement of plans. And so they wondered why... Tesla would even announce anything um, because it didn't seem like there was much to announce. So from where I sat and in my coverage, there was a lot of announcements, but really when you started to read between the lines, nothing's been done yet. And and by the way, that's totally fine for a company to have R&D and to be working on something that is very compelling. There's nothing wrong with that and you know, great for them to do that. But to announce that while at the same time really still being heavily reliant on a company like Panasonic seems misguided at the very least. Um, and also perhaps just an attempt to get more attention on what they're doing um, and hope in hopes of, you know, getting some market boost, you know, that that's where it read like there's. A lot of these innovations are going to take years from the lithium mine uh, all the way up to, you know, this co-located cathode plant to figuring out the manufacturing process, which is close, but not yet working. He said close at at the pilot plant scale. Yeah, it was a very funny, like kind of post Nicola moment there where he was like struggling for the right formulation of words that that would make it seem like it was almost ready while still leaving you know room for the fact that it's it's not ready um and you know and and i think right like like he's in a position where he can be vague and people will 
interpret it as being very close, right? right. And and getting that benefit of the doubt makes a huge difference in these situations. Well, Alex, what did, what did you think? Uh, so, um, I think that the entire presentation, and I've watched well, every Tesla presentation, it was devoid of entertainment and magic. <laughs> And if and and here's my theory, purely speculation, and this is coming from happy Tesla owner. Um, in light of what happened to Nikola around the same time, and being Nikola being totally dismantled, uh, with you know the SEC and DOJ coming with investigations for all the exaggerations and BS around Nikola, this felt like at the last minute they carved out a number of things from the presentation, and dialed back on the traditional Tesla bombast. And I'll give you a very specific example. This is the only, I wouldn't even call it evidence, touch point, data point, which backs up my theory. Um, look at how they presented the new Model S Plaid edition. Every previous time that Tesla ever announced a new version of a vehicle or a new variant, that vehicle had a very cool dedicated page on their website that was clearly planned weeks or months in advance, and there was some integrated vision. Um, but the, the, the Plaid announcement and the way the, the, the Plaid option is, exists on the Tesla website suggests that someone spent no more than one hour adding it as an option. So if you go to the Model S section of the Tesla site and try to configure a car, for the last, I don't know, how many months, you've had the long-range plus version and the performance edition. The tri-motor all-wheel drive Plaid model is a third option that was added to the page the day of battery day. And the car is visually identical. There are, the, the brakes are not upgraded. There, you don't see the fender flares or any of the things you saw on the Plaid vehicle tested at Nürburgring. It, it looks to me like at the, literally an hour before the presentation, Musk is like, well, we have empty space. We need something here. Throw the plaid up as an option. Because there is zero, zero thought went into the into how it was added to the site. And this is a, a total departure. And it's not a good one for Tesla and how they do these things. It's right. We're, we're used to the one more thing being like the semi truck. Awesome. Opening the roadster, the roadster came out of the semi, and that's an interesting thing because that they said that you know deliveries would be. I think they said everyone was calling it the 2020 roadster, so it was supposed to be sort of the end of this year. And the Plaid Model S has similar specs in terms of acceleration and stuff uh, uh, to what they claimed, has less range than what they claimed the roadster would have, pretty similar otherwise, but it's a Model S instead of a, a whole new sort of body. Um, and it's serious, it's just not serious. Well, and yeah, I mean, and one more thing. I have to say this Lucid, you know, announced the Lucid Air, lo the longest range version of the Lucid Air announced two weeks ago had 517 miles of range. You don't think it's a coincidence that two weeks later Tesla says Model S Plaid 520. <laughs> so, and, and, and they're going to try and set a record on Laguna Seca where Lucid just yeah. set a record. So I think, I think you're right. I think Tesla sees that, that Lucid is competing with them in a way that, or, or trying to compete with them in a way that, that no others one ever has. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. So I, I mean, I have a, a, a few thoughts. I mean, battery supply chain stuff is, is extremely complicated. Um, I have been lucky enough over the years to be invited to a couple of um, benchmark minerals 
um, uh, sort of tour stops um, to talk about sort of the EV market, um, sort of to give some, some downstream insight to people who are working in the supply chain. And, and so I, I've been, you know, exposed to that. And, and so I checked out Benchmark Minerals um, webinar. I actually checked out the recording on YouTube. You can, you can find it there. Um, it's, I think they, it's called Battery Day Reactions or something like that. Um, and it was really, it was really interesting. Um, you know, these guys are there, they do price analysis and, and stuff and, and a whole bunch of things in, in EVs or, or batteries in the battery supply chain. Um, and, you know, like a lot of people in, you know, the EV space sort of broadly, um, you know, Tesla is the, is the standard bearer, right? And, and so, you know, the fact that they're doing new things uh, and pushing things forward is is exciting to them, right? And and to anyone, it is. It's they're they're taking a, a definite step, you know, forward with this. Um, and there seems to be some potential advantages to the larger cells and a whole bunch of you know other pieces here. But you know, when I, <laughs> Kirsten, what you said earlier um, about you know, oh well, the the hot take is that you know, oh the markets didn't react because they didn't understand it. I'll tell you, the experts. Uh, did not understand a lot of things that were said at Battery Day. First of all, there was a ton of stuff, so you can't really do justice to it. And, and again, watch what I, if you're really interested in this stuff, I really recommend the um, that benchmark minerals thing because it was it's just very even handed. Um, and so they talked a bit, and and basically, sort of the high level takeaway seems to be that you know for the you know the closer you get to the car itself, um, the more sort of exciting uh, and 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 um, attainable, some of these goals, you know, seem to be to the experts, but especially as you get higher up uh, the the upstream supply chain, um, when you get to talking about uh, raw lithium, you know, lithium extraction mining, essentially. So on that, Tesla says, you know, we can get it all from Nevada, which means clay deposits. Well, right. the problem is that clay deposits have not been able to, you know, turn into uh, uh, lithium, uh, like, battery grade lithium, like that hasn't been done in an economically viable way. And no one's really sure uh, how Tesla plans to do any better than, than lots of other projects that have, that have tried that. And so the whole lithium clay as a source, people were like, this is nuts. Um, and then also sort of the, the whole salt shaker, you know, you put some salt on yeah, that lithium and, and table salt. Yeah. And, and then it'll be a battery grade th- th- so those upstream ones, people were extremely not just skeptical, but like pretty explicitly like this is insulting to the people who are doing work in this in this sector, which is something that, that happens a lot when when Elon Musk gets into new yeah. areas. Can I jump in just on the lithium piece? You know, I, I spoke to some folks as well, um, and let's just let's just say that they have figured out a way. Let's just pretend. Yeah. It's still in no way charts like I think people underestimate how difficult it is to get permits to mine. <laughs> um, like it's uh, having a a stake in a ten thousand acre plot of land or a deposit is one thing, but going through the permitting process and also, by the way, typically you would de- have to demonstrate that this there's I mean lithium mining. Uh, is has a huge environmental impact on the land. Um, the way it's done, there's there's lots of different kinds of lithium mi- mining too. Lithium True. comes from a lot of different kinds of sources. That's now, the, the traditional one that has a, a, a pretty big environmental impact is the one where you are 
drilling a hole and bringing up the brine and that 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 uh, method, which I think is the m- more common one. But the point is, is that even if they've come up, come up with this, the amount of time it will take them to go through every step of the permitting process, get it up and running, and become a viable commercial product that can be used is going to be years. It's not going to be 2022. Yeah. So I think what's interesting, one of the things that came up in the in the webinar I referenced um, was sort of, and I know Simon Moores from uh, Benchmark Minerals has like testified uh, before the Senate and stuff on on this issue of, you know, there are some concerns at a strategic level about the fact that, you know, if EVs are the future and we're trying, you know, the whole market is going to shift that way, which I have some questions about, but um, not that I wouldn't want to see it happen, but uh, but that, you know, we need to develop more of an infrastructure, uh, a supply chain sort of here in the U.S., um, and so, you know, knowing Musk's fondness for for subsidies, I know this is a, a touchy issue. And I know, yes, there are subsidies for lots of different things, but but Musk, you know, very clearly like understands when there's opportunities there, and and will shift the business in a way that makes sense for that. Um, I, it's possible this is a play to you know get some get some support from the government, you know, in order to create some form of or some level of independence. Uh, from China, because it's not just the extraction, actually, it's it's the the processing part. It's the mid stage of that supply chain of turning the raw, you know, um, minerals into into battery grade materials. Um, that's where China absolutely dominates. Um, and that's the choke point in the middle of the supply chain. And so maybe there's maybe there's something there. Maybe maybe, you know, he thinks the federal government will will you know support this out of strategic reasons that that to me is is sort of the only way that going upstream like that makes sense because otherwise they're commodity businesses that have nothing to do with with what Tesla you know what Tesla's good at in particular mm-hmm. um and i think that leads me to my other big sort of takeaway from this which is that they're not going to deploy uh level 5 robotaxis that, no that's separate <laughs> Yes, but 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 that's not the issue here. The the issue here is that is that Musk again sort of he had this this comment about you know everyone's gonna have long range electric cars, everyone's gonna have you know full you know full self driving autonomy. Um, manufacturing but, you know, is the only edge. Yeah, Tesla is gonna be better than everyone at manufacturing. And <laughs> reality is that you know, and I, I wrote a whole book like culture is matter is, is their choices right? Their trade offs in culture and Tesla has from its entire history, you know, taken, made choices and, and, and reinforced a culture that is much more about design and innovation and technology than about manufacturing and supply chain. And those do, those cultures do trade off with each other. And so, and, and, you know, the, there's been this subtext to this whole thing. And, and anytime, you know, Elon Musk comes out and makes a big, bold plan or prediction or whatever, People say, well, don't don't bet against him. You know, he always delivers. Well, <laughs> he doesn't always deliver. He delivers a lot. And, you know, the, it's frustrating that we can't acknowledge both of those things, that he delivers a lot, but there's a lot of things that he also doesn't deliver on. And, and manufacturing specifically, right, like the alien dreadnought for the Model 3 was supposed to be this revolutionary transformational thing that was going to, you know, totally blow everyone's mind. And it ended up in a disaster. They spent billions and billions and billions of dollars on stuff that didn't work. Ended up having to make them largely by hand uh, for General Assembly, anyway. You know, in this tent structure, and like people don't appreciate that that was the biggest disaster in automotive manufacturing in recent memory. Like maybe that's because they looked at that's because they championed him as being able to pivot. I mean, that's why that's why it's not viewed through that lens. 
I'm not saying I do, but that the reason, because there's a rationalization that's occurred, instead of saying, what a disaster and loss of money, instead it is, well, look at how he made it happen anyway. Not the alien dreadnought, but just yeah. the cars out the door. So that's the thing. That's why, that's why he has so much uh, power and in, in a lot of ways is because, as you mentioned, he does deliver on just enough, even though it takes a long time, that every claim is treated as this as as weighted as the same. He's given yeah. the same deference um, equally, which isn't helpful for the company. By the way, I, I just recently had a conversation with someone about this, which is it the best thing any company can have is uh, is uh, cranky customers who push the company to a higher standard and that, and that, and and really call them out on things. Um, And that doesn't really happen with Tesla in the same way that other companies experience. Yeah. The feedback loops are missing. Yeah. Um, And it kind of ties into the cult of of what's next. Well, yeah. Yeah. Hang on. So, so I'm just, so the, the last point I wanted to make about manufacturing is that, is that like the alien dreadnought thing didn't fail because of like, Elon Musk is dumb or Tesla, you know, is dumb or stupid or whatever. Like it failed because, you know, everything we know about manufacturing makes it very clear that the way to make, to get ahead is through continuous improvement, Kaizen in the Twitter production system. And that, that massively trying to reinvent when you go through history and you look at examples where people like Buick City in the eighties with General Motors, where they were going to do a highly robotic uh, you know, highly automated, uh, practically lights out production facility in Flint, um, you know, these massive reinventions don't work. They just, they, they tend to not work. And, um, and, and the result is that, you know, you take a business that is already, you know, the biggest problem with the, the car business as far as financial markets are concerned is its capital inefficiency. Um, and I think that's, you know, when you try these big reinventions and they don't work, you end up with a worse system at the end uh, like like worse than if you had just done sort of industry standard methods and you spend more money to get a worse system at the end, right? So like nobody, and that's what's so strange about Tesla's market valuation is no one was like, boy, wouldn't it be great if there were a car company that was less capital efficient than than the industry? And yet somehow that's that's now the most valuable company by market market cap. Um, and this is a good segue to our next topic. Yeah, let's let's move on. Greetings, Cat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit autonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Thanks. Geely is making its play at, at being, um, at becoming a, a major player in, in electric vehicles. Um, 
and it's doing that with its uh, it's they call it an open source electric vehicle architecture. They're they're trying to license it to to other partners. Um, and and this is really it's really interesting because it's the exact opposite approach of Tesla, where it's it's pretty incremental. There's no fancy new technology. They're just trying to make something flexible that they can get a ton of scale both through themselves and with partners. Um, so collaborating with the rest of the industry. Um, totally different approach. And and people forget, you know, people say Tesla's the first US startup, auto startup since Chrysler or whatever in the 20s. But but Geely, you know, started as a as a as a refrigerator manufacturer in the 80s. Um, and they make two million vehicles last year. And that's a huge accomplishment as well. And I think the differences in their strategies really reflect sort of their different experiences. Um, so Gelia is really, really trying to take the industry approach, the, the more traditional auto industry approach to EVs. Um, can you, I think it would be, I, I know that a lot of our audience are absolutely like industry insiders, but I think what makes this so interesting is Geely's connections to all of its other companies. So can you lay out that sort of path patchwork? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'll probably miss stuff. So, so Geely itself is a big player in the Chinese market. Um, it purchased Volvo um, a few years back and really re-energized that whole organization, um, which then has also uh, sort of fed back into Geely. In fact, they're 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 talking about potentially down the road fully merging Volvo and Geely into one company. Um, even though Vol Geely owns Volvo, it's a little more independent right now. Um, and so they've created, you know, with Volvo's help, they've created, you know, well, like Polestar, um, for which is a sub-brand of, of Volvo technically, uh, but but also sort of Lincoln Company, which is sort of taking some of Volvo's expertise and making a, a youthful line of vehicles. Um, Geely is also they they bought Lotus, they bought Proton, the Malaysian manufacturer. They have ten percent of da of Daimler, um, and I think those are sort of the the biggest ones. But they've got a lot of these relationships. Um, and and they are you know they, they've been growing like crazy and they're doing some interesting things but they are much more of a traditional car company and so for example I went to their their newest factory in twenty late twenty eighteen for the magical mystery plant tour and it's like it's it's gorgeous I mean it's it's like super clean super slick it's it's definitely more sort of like fancy and like sort of exhibitionisty almost like there's a a, a plexiglass tunnel that goes over the um, the body shop, so you can like look down and see bodies being welded and stuff. Um, so it's like new, but but also traditional. Um, so it's more of this evolutionary approach to the auto industry rather than Tesla trying to reinvent sort of everything. And the one point I would make, and then I want to hear from Alex, but I remember, um, you know, uh, let's see, Volvo, you know, has always had had a, a good brand recognition and been, um, you know, linked to safety and that's part of its identity, but it sort of had languished a bit. Um, and it was really when Geely came in and kind of committed quite a bit of money into that company. Um, and as a result, it's performance brand Polestar spinning out and becoming in the electric, you know, I, a brand. Um, and, and so They've they've clearly invested a lot of money um, into this area, and I, I don't see that slowing down in, in any way. I mean, I think people just don't really understand or 
know the connections and how sort of vast throughout the marketplace it extends. Yeah. Well, and, and they've done really well by, you know, doing the, the traditional auto industry thing of, of developing a flexible uh, architecture and then making all kinds of different variations of it. So like the CMA was like Volvo sort of smaller flexible architecture. And that's got, you know, it's got gas versions, uh, hybrid versions, plug-in hybrid and pure electric. That's what's in the Polestar 2 that's just starting to hit the market. And I really like that that vehicle. Um, but also all the Lincoln company cars. And so they're they're doing that. And that's that's the strategy they're doing with this. And 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 it's interesting that Tesla has not created a flexible architecture yet, because again, that gets back to that that um uh, capital efficiency thing. I gotta, right? you, I gotta ask both of you. Didn't Musk say they were gonna deliver 20 million vehicles by some day some year? 2030. Like so, and that number is greater than the total volume of vehicles manufactured by multiple OEMs put together. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so the three biggest automakers in the world are are Volkswagen, Toyota, and General Motors, and they each make around 10 million a year. So basically, it'd be twice as big in terms of volume as the biggest automakers today. So, uh, I said to a friend, um, I don't know if he would want to be named. In what universe is that possible? And also, why isn't Tesla uh, making e-bikes? Like, why don't they just enter that market? And he said, that's exactly how they're going to meet the 20 million number. (laughs) 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 I mean, because if you think about it, um, it's insanity that they haven't entered that market. It's insanity. Um, But Well, I also thought thought that it was insane that they went with a Class 8 truck instead of doing something that would probably have incredible impact and be a lot easier to pull off, which is more of the light-duty vans that are delivery vans that are in every major city and cities that are tightening their emissions regulations. Why not just completely go after that market? There's like no one. You like what Rivian is doing with – who are they building someone's van? Uh, Amazon. when Tesla, when Tesla announced the model or like revealed the Model Y, remember we did an episode and we were like, and I think I said something along the lines of like, Tesla is finally doing, you know, what what real car companies do, which is take something, Model Three, is like engineered for for some scale, and make a very minor variation of it that that you know sort of serves what the market wants, right? Like that's exactly that's that's what flexible architecture is all about. And I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Tesla's growing up and 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 starting to understand you know, the, the capital efficiency, like value of, of, of doing it that way. But now they're talking about uh, completely re-engineering the Y for the German manufacturing system. So they're going to have two, not, not one platform for two vehicles, but, but the, the Y is, there's gonna be two versions of the Y on different, apparently fundamentally different sort of architectures and potentially even manufacturing systems. And so it's like, and and again, just to contrast with Geely, you know this this SEA platform or architecture that they're talking about for electric vehicles. It's everything from A segment, which is small, uh, uh, you know, city, you know, tiny little city car, up through D and E segment, which is you know full size, mid size crossover kind of a thing. Um, so all of that off of one common set of architectures, the the efficiencies that you get there are huge. Tesla has not even talked about sort of that strategy of building one really flexible architecture and putting a bunch of, you know, making a bunch of variants using it in order to be capital efficient. I don't know when they're going to, when, when is Elon going to invent that? <laughs> uh, going back to Geely and Volvo for a second. Yeah. 
do, do either of you know why Volvo created the Link and Company brand? Geely created it. It's Geely not actually – Okay. Yeah. So because it seems to me I – mean, did you follow this um, whole HBO Max, HBO Now, and HBO Go debacle last month? Oh, um, right. yeah. There's too many brands. No one knew what what was what or why. Like, why doesn't Geely just rebrand everything under Volvo? And why does Polestar need to be a separate brand? Like, I don't understand the brand strategy here. I like, think I think it is to. This is a bit of speculation and a bit of, I would say, well researched speculation, right? Um, based on folks I've talked to. It's in a way the same, although not tied to, you know, driving up stock price. For the same reason why, you know, some companies like GM have uh, considered or tinkered around with like an EV spinoff. As far as I know, Lincoln Company um, is really meant in a way to be with a specific marketplace and also to experiment with things like subscriptions and things like that, which might turn off the traditional Volvo buyer, although I should note Volvo has a subscription product with the um, XC40. Um, And then the Polestar was, again, a way for them to completely focus on this electric vehicle architecture. But I think what's going to happen is that, and by the way, to experiment with some things um, like the operating system, but I see those things coming back together eventually. the, Alex, the the way you should think about it probably is okay. So Geely is China mass market, and Lincoln Company is sort of younger, uh, sort of uh, you know younger buyers essentially, and and sort of experimenting with some of the things that are allegedly more you know more popular with with younger buyers. In the same way that Volvo is sort of their mass market rest of the world, or you know sort of premium mass market rest of the world offering, and Polestar is sort of that younger hipper sort of experimenting kind of what is the future laboratory brand underneath it. So it's really, you know, the relationship between Geely and and Lincoln company is similar to the the relationship between Volvo and, and, and Polestar. Um, (laughs) I, I, I I imagine that once autonomous vehicles arrive and EVs are ubiquitous, that, you know, a company will like bifurcate between people movers and, um, enthusiast vehicles, which will slot in with autonomous functionality into autonomy primary areas. So like BMW M, Mercedes AMG. Uh, I suppose it'll be Volvo Polestar, but all, but I think that if there's too many brands and that you want to own, if you're, you run a car company, you want to have two. You want to have the one for people who totally embrace mobility and everything that means. And you want to have the other one, which is for people who don't understand what mobility means, but you can still pull them into your brand portfolio. And I don't know, Lincoln Company, I don't, I don't just don't get Lincoln it. Company has been growing like crazy, though. That's in, the thing. It would be one China. thing if it, in China. Yeah, yeah. It's a Chinese. It's, a, it's for China. The, I, I think the whole like it's going to be in other markets around the world. I think that was to make it more popular in China. You know, I, I will say this, the, the most exciting thing I saw in the media from like a fresh brand was the, the canoe ad from a few days ago, the mm-hmm. one where they had the skateboard yep. and uh, no body yep. and a race car driver sitting on it in three different locations on it across the desert. And at the end, 
the driver takes um, the helmet off and you see uh, that it's a, it's a woman. You, see, you don't even see her face. Her hair just flows in the wind. And I thought that that ad just ticked so many boxes of good judgment, fresh approach, and good taste. And it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't gratuitously diverse and gender positive. It was, it was perfectly executed. Yeah. Um, and so many levels. Uh, I, I loved what they did because there are, there are a lot of companies building skateboard EVs, but I have not seen a fresh EV commercial that made me smile and want to watch it twice until that canoe ad came out. So that, that well, was. I think I think that this the reason why I was so smart is that typically when when as you noted, there's basically every not every major automaker, but a number of them are all working on this flexible skateboard architecture. You know, like VW has its MEB, um, GM's working on one, but generally they show a photo of it, right? And it's very like a t- or a rendering, and it's meant to explain what it looks like showing something in action without the body of a vehicle over it that which allows you to imagine all of the different possibilities is really what i think makes sense and creates some excitement about what is possible and it could be anything right yeah. and i think a lot of the legacy automakers have failed to communicate that yeah um even though they have the product or they're working on it, they just, if they, it hasn't translated to, Hey, this is exciting. They go to the traditional advertising and marketing um, strategies, which is showing the sexy finished vehicle. And then the rendering of, Oh, we have this underlying flexible, you know, architecture. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, Hyundai has licensed that, um, that canoe architecture. And I think that's sort of, you know, I think there are some, some questions about canoes, subscription only sort of model in terms of actually the actual vehicles the canoe itself is making uh, at least i have some questions about about whether that will really work and take off right. but um i've seen that that um the skateboard and the body and like like i have this video of where uh, the guy's like you know the, the body is sitting next to the the chassis and uh, the skateboard and like only connected by wires uh, because it's fully drive by wires. I mean, the first fully drive by wire vehicle. And he's like turning the steering wheel and the skateboard sort of like five feet over or six feet over is like the wheels are turning. And, and it just, it just shows like, and I think especially in the post Nicola, not quite post, but you know what I mean? Post Nicola's downfall or, or beginning of it. Um, you know, like Alex is saying, stripping it down is showing that you have technology and not, not putting your brand and styling on someone else's technology um, but really just stripping it all away and showing your technology. I think it's really smart. What is the, the key to all businesses convincing people to give you their money? Like I, after seeing the canoe ad, I just want to give them my money. I, I like these people. They showed good judgment. It's cool. We got to, well, we got to not talk about canoe gushing about them is off brand for me. And yeah, uh, <laughs> I, whatever. It's cool. Let's move on. But I do. I love we can't, we can't gush about anyone really, but let's just say this. It was, a, it was, it was a smart move. Good ad. Um, um, and let's see what they do. Yeah. Uh, so also on the, the Gili front, along with debuting that architecture, um, they also made an announcement about um, uh, they're going to be an, an early adopter of this new mobilized system, mm. um, which is started. You don't sound very excited. What I find funny is, so uh, I've driven a lot of cars with mobilized ADAS, uh, IQ4. Uh, Tesla used to use it. And it's always been... I thought very good. In fact, for, uh, <laughs> it took Tesla a long time to duplicate 
when they split. I don't even know if they've successfully duplicated it even now. Um, but the notion that this this ADAS system, this camera only uh, supervision system, is a path level four doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's definitely it seems to me like a narrative that they are cool with letting the media believe because you see that percolate in, in headlines from time to time. So, and if you watch, I'm sorry, but if you watch the video of from CES of the Mobileye um, camera only vehicle. Uh, driving through Tel Aviv, if you slow that down and take a close look, there's some behavior in there that if you saw it in a Tesla ed, you'd write another book and be like, what, what is going on here? Yeah, I'm not going to write another book. So I'm, I'm, I think we should be careful to, to not misrepresent what, what this, okay. So, so I'm just going to read like, like a couple sentences from the EE times. We all know and respect Junko Yoshida. She's going to get the story right. So she says, Super, uh, the, uh, okay, so Supervision is a camera-only system designed for level two and level two plus cars, but Mobileye is also creating separate subsystems with radar and LiDAR that could be used for L4 robotaxis. Quote, OEMs that want to use this supervision system in L4 systems will need slash want a radar slash LiDAR redundant system to be provided by Intel Mobileye in the future, uh, or they can do it on their own, noted Intel Mobileye spokesperson. Quote, they could add radar to the L2, L2 plus systems if desired, but supervision system doesn't need it. Um, so, you know, doing L2, L2 plus without radar is an accomplishment. And uh, that's interesting. I'm going to stop right there. What would you do if Mobileye was still partnered with Tesla and they were like, we're going to do this level two plus system just using camera, no radar? Yeah. I, I mean, the reaction would be the same. I mean, like, let's see it. Like, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing that the global leader in, in ADAS technology is not going to put something to market. That's, that's just wildly unsafe. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, you know, that's an assumption based on a track record. Um, part of which was actually, you know, breaking off the relationship with Tesla when they felt that they were being unsafe with, with how they were deploying and, and communicating about autopilot. If you take, look, all I can say is the mobile is, has videos that are public that you can watch. They've been out there since January of this camera only system that they paint as great. And let me tell you, the Mobileye ADAS is quite good and I've enjoyed it. Um, but that video, uh, the, <laughs> slow it down and take a close look and you'll see some things in there. You'll be like, ah, eh, little hanky. Mm. Uh, I would, I think people should judge for themselves. People send me that video on Twitter or whatever all the time. And they're like, oh, see, like Mobileye says you can do, you know, full autonomy with with just camera. But like and, and I would say the only potential criticism I would have of, of Intel Mobileye here is just be more clear. Right. Like the nuance tends to get lost in this stuff and be more clear about the fact that they are have zero plans of any kind to deploy a camera only autonomous system. Mm -hmm. OK. And now if you're talking about driver assistance, completely different completely different game. Like, you know, camera only driver assistance is one thing. Still want radar in, in your ADAS. Probably. Yeah. Probably. They, I mean, I think it would have been better for them to, I understand why they didn't do that. Right. Like, so what they're trying to do is show how that they've made a, uh, innovation and a step change that allows, uh, that makes it compelling for automakers to stick by mobile eye. Right. But is it responsible to say that you can do this without radar? You know, I, I think it, there's some, 
the assumption is is that most automakers will continue to use um, other redundant sensors. I'm not. I'm not getting into a car that's camera and radar. Uh, that's the anyone claims it's on us. I'm just not doing that ever. Yeah, but but again, no one. Only Tesla is doing that. <laughs> and I and I, and I actually it can't camera only ADAS. I am just no no. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm I'm curious. The thing is, radar is so cheap now. I, I don't know how much of an advantage there is in cost on on doing camera only versus camera and radar. But well, and if it's new too, and and potentially more expensive, like what's you know, we don't really. I don't know what the cost breakdown is. But again, what will be interesting is they were showing off uh, a product meant to be compelling and get the attention and support of automakers. But how many of those automakers are going to just go only with camera? And that will be the interesting thing to keep track of. So there's also a couple of stories recently uh, about Too Simple, yeah. which is a, a company that... Well, let's, yeah, let's close the show with Too Simple. There's lots of other mobility news, but but there's been some interesting stuff happening with the company. Uh, so self-driving trucks company based in, um, has operations in China, San Diego, and Tucson. And, you know, they've uh, earlier this summer um, had a, a little bit of a scoop that they were had hired Morgan Stanley and they're in in search of more capital, about 250 million in more capital, which isn't surprising, like companies that are pursuing. I mean, it's a lot of money, uh, but they clearly have some pretty big partners now. Um, you know, UPS has taken a stake in the company. And uh, they're carrying freight. They still have human uh, safety drivers behind the wheel. Let's just be clear with that. And uh, they had kind of a weird partnership with Navistar as well, which I believe was it was it Amir who wrote that kind of like broke down what the partnership really involved. Um, but over at the information, so they have this, and then just this week they now have a new uh, agreement with the Trayton Group, which is VW. Uh, trucking subsidiary to uh, develop or work on and test self-driving trucks in in Europe. It's going to be a uh, testing in between two cities in Sweden for now. Um, seems like this is really retrofitting trucks for now. Um, but it, the assumption is that the end goal is then like a totally integrated product, right? So the very interesting thing with this is that Trading Group actually has a stake in Navistar. And Navistar technically has a stake in Too Simple. And so you start to see this neat little, you know, circle <laughs> being created. Ecosystem, if you will. Um, and then and then you just had a scoop about yet another piece of this, of this ecosystem, right? Right, right. So today, <laughs> um, so Steve Gursky, who you know, has a lot of titles, but probably the one that's most recognizable right now is that he is the uh, the new chairman of Nikola. You know, he, <laughs> is, he created a, sp a special purpose acquisition company in 2018. And um, he, he was a former vice chairman um, over at GM. He's created a company with, um, with another uh, woman who has a kind of a deep technical background and was also at GM, Mary Chan. And they um, they have a sort of an advisory consultancy and investment company 
uh, uh, Vecto IQ, and they've invested in some interesting companies since 2016. Um, he was on the board of Drive AI. They've invested in Luminar, but it seems like what their specialty is kind of matchmaking, uh, hooking uh, large mobility-related companies to startups in that field. And his SPAC merged with Nikola, uh, and that closed. Um, which, which I should say, the special app acquis- special purpose acquisition com- uh, corporation is separate from this LLC that he has, but similar name. Um, so that's how we know uh, Steve Gursky, mostly because of uh, a bit of the shit show that's been going on over at Nikola with its founder stepping down and him having to kind of take that place for now. But his next investment appears to be close to closing, and that's going to be into too simple. So, so that's an interesting sort of, um, you know, it's, it, it seems to be totally through the investment arm, not SPAC related, not anything connected to Nikola. Um, this is through his LLC. But still, if you think about, right, like you think two simples, you know, autonomous driving system, you think about sort of the, the heft that, that, um, VW, I, I always forget the name of their, Tratton? The Tratton group. Yeah. Creighton, yeah, which is, you know, MAN and Scania, huge, you know, global uh, trucking firms. Um, and then uh, and then Navistar, another huge trucking firm. And then you think about the hydrogen piece of that, and you do see sort of all the pieces of a potential, uh, you know, future sort of zero emission autonomous infrastructure play. Yeah, um, I mean, I think he's clearly, if you look at where what he's been involved in he's clearly interested in um future of transportation related companies um and also compelled by uh transportation like ground transportation related investments and i i would say that any kind of link up between Nikola and Too Simple would be very, very long term because Nikola doesn't even have a factory or a product yet that's commercially viable. It's all <laughs> prototype. So, so in my view, I uh, Gursky's playing like he's a interested in Too Simple clearly, and if someday over the rainbow there is this connection with Nikola, then great. But to me, it's more an indication his general interest in the space. Um, if Nikola had a production uh, Class 8 truck right now, I would be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's so long before. I mean, we don't even know when these vehicles, based on the current issues with the company, are uh, going to start really being produced, right? So I mean, they have they have the um, they, they're, they're using the, uh, the GM, was it Hydrotech? system um which you know they've been working on for decades potentially a GM has a very long term yeah. development so i mean again i you know i don't want to open the, the nicola can of worms but like just because you know they don't have meaningful you know new technology that they've developed themselves like integrating other people's stuff into a good product is also a way to, to build a business lots of good businesses sure. have been built that way so for sure you know, that doesn't, that does anyway, whatever. Again, I don't, I don't want to like. You don't want to debate me on this? No, I mean. Go ahead. It's, well, Nicole is just such a, a can of worms. It is, but I mean, I think that, I think that it, for now, Too Simple has partnerships, right? And with, with truck manufacturers. Uh, however, um, 
and they and they're you know working on something that also isn't necessarily like totally commercially viable yet. I mean, I'm sure the people at Too Simple would completely argue otherwise, but but you know th- this is not a ubiquitous um, tech. They're still really in the validation stage and verification stage. So five years out, is it possible that we start to see Too Simple? Um, and Nicola like work together? Sure. I don't see why not. Let's see where Nicola is five years from now. For sure. I shall hold my judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you've been so quiet. What else did you I mean, we we really covered a lot. I think that um hey, I want to get Alex's take on the on the VW ID four, which is just revealed for the US oh, yeah. market. Oh yeah. What do you think about that? Uh, you know, I was not invited to the re- uh, secret reveal uh, or any of the public stuff, probably because I'm not considered a journalist anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was at one though. And I mean, it's cool. Uh, you know, uh, it's you know, I I drive long distances, so I need a big, ba- the biggest possible battery capacity and high speed charging network. So, uh, like. If I was going to spend the money, if I had the money, I'd buy like a Taycan. Uh, I like loose. I like the Ford Mach-E. Um, you know, the ID4 looks cool. I mean, it looks cool. I haven't driven it. I haven't played with it. So so I went to the world's weirdest, most surreal, like, reveal of a vehicle ever, um, which was the ID4. And I'll just t- briefly explain it. And I have a little gif, actually, on one of my articles about the VW um, ID4 reveal. And basically, I was in the indescript like office park. Uh, I was the only journalist there at the time. This is all COVID related. And, you know, everyone's masked up. It's been fully vetted. And these guys are walking around with like little booties on. And I go into a room in which I get the presentation about the vehicle. And there it's sitting underneath, you know, like a classic auto show under under wraps, right? Well, not under, you know, camouflage, but, you know, the silk sheet. And it's in a nice, beautiful white room with the VW logo and, you know, perfect lighting. And after my presentation or listening to this presentation, I uh, walk over and I bust out, you know, my camera and take video of this guy dramatically or not so dramatically ripping the, uh, the covering off. And, you know, I was just by myself. Here are my thoughts about the vehicle. I think it might do well in the U.S. Um, the interior and some of the choices on there look pretty cool. Uh, there are a couple of design things where I'm like, e why? Um, it's actually feels kind of beefy as short as it is. Um, so it's you know it's supposed to be a crossover. The 250 mile range is totally sufficient for most people. Um, you know, yes. There isn't the same infrastructure. I think that VW's best interest would be to throw some more money at infrastructure. Um, Especially considering, by the way, that California's um, recent actions around, you know, and, you know, that's a topic for another day, whether that actually comes to fruition. But clearly there are states that are going to, are incentivizing um, through regulations and, and actual incentives for EV ownership. 
Hang on. Are you saying that you're going to need the infrastructure? I think. Are you saying that Electrify America is not big enough? Well, I got pretty good size network. I don't know uh, the exact numbers. As someone who's actually driven from Arizona to LA, and it and which is normally a seven and a half hour drive, and it took me fourteen hours trying in in a uh, 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 which one was it? It was the uh, Kona, Um, and it was because there was a massive. I used Electrify America. It was great in Buckeye, Phoenix, and there was a massive gap, and so I had to try and parse together these other quote unquote level two chargers, most of which weren't working, almost got stuck overnight in the middle of the desert and managed to thread my way through. That's a major thoroughfare between Phoenix and LA, major. And it's not that long. And the Kona has about 230-ish miles to a charge. So I think that a few more along interstates wouldn't hurt them it would only help them mm. yeah i mean i you know to be fair i think you know almost every well not almost every, a lot of, a lot of you know infrastructure continues to be a problem right i mean there are definitely uh, in california uh, tesla superchargers that are just always full oh, um, yeah. and i just and, you, know, boom, you get an hour added at least to your to your trip so like i mean this is a it's an issue for everyone and um but yeah, uh, but I think by America, they've made some interesting partnerships. I mean, this is part of VW. This is own, you know, this is this is a subsidiary of VW, and they're they have a mission to sell. Um, what is it? One million. I, I always confuse all the different automakers and their goals, but they have some pretty uh, uh, robust goals around EV ownership and you know sales, and so. In the United States, um, highly trafficked routes, like it makes sense to me that they would, they have an opportunity. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, and we discussed this a little bit when we talked about the GM Ultium thing, but um, like VW's MEB strategy definitely seems to be targeting uh, Europe and China much more. And we're seeing, you know, this year as the European uh, regulations kicked in, um, that market is taking off for EVs, like it's booming. Um, China is 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 still a little tricky and may may need you know sort of, but I, I think their their regulation uh, their regulatory standards you know ramp up. Um, so like the U.S. I think is you know the forecast for EV demand here relative to those markets is is weaker, um, and I think a lot of it is because we just don't have the same level of regulatory sort of support or incentives. Right. But in California, like I just uh, was driving um, a Tesla Model 3 from Tucson to San Diego, San Diego to San Francisco. And uh, they've added some more superchargers. Um, I've tried a couple of the 250 kilowatt hours, which I can tell you were faster, but we're definitely not sustaining that, that, uh, that level of charge by a long shot. Even at Kettleman Ranch? Uh, nope. Not over the entire period. It it does drop. Um, it, along that corridor, though, in California, it yeah, packed. Yeah. They're packed. There's 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 waiting. People are waiting in line. Obviously, going across the desert. Uh, there's a number of new ones now. Um, and so I tried different ones on um, going to and from, and um, some were empty. Some were you know had more uh, cars. So California is and and the. Uh, States adjacent to it, where there's clear um, commuting traffic or or um, visiting or traveling like vacation traffic, like 
you know, between Tahoe, right, and San Francisco and between LA and Las Vegas, I would say it makes sense for uh, one other company or two other companies to sort of start looking at infrastructure. Um, Because I think a lot of Tesla owners, that's what keeps them... um, Linked to the brand, you know, I'm talking to people who who openly admit that the company has the cars have issues at times, but they they always turn to the infrastructure. They, they in conversations. This is not me putting words in their mouths. Yeah. Well, um, we didn't we didn't have time today to uh, to talk about uh, uh, Tesla's big fleet wide outage yeah. to uh, their IT issues uh which i think would be interesting to discuss also i think the california thing is something that there's a lot of of ins and outs to that we we should discuss but i'm gonna pull an alex roy here and and say i i've got to get we got to call rolling. so let's right. uh can i say one thing and then we wrap please do of course okay. so um i talked about this uh last episode but we have TechCrunches has their big mobility um two-day conference virtual that's coming up we published the final agenda it's um it's pretty pretty fucking great so there's our explicit lyric our explicit uh (laughs) lyrics check um we put a lot of time and effort into it and so it's my plug that people should go and maybe the autonicast will do me a solid and you know promote it within our own twitter channel uh and yeah, I think we should do like a post. I hope that you two watch it. I will watch it for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've received my uh, my code yet, but um, I'll definitely yeah. watch it. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a code. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I want to, and I think in particular, um, you're gonna have JB Straubel, you're gonna have former Tesla battery people. Um, that discussion in particular, I think, in the wake of Battery Day, is going to be a really interesting one. So um, yeah, um, we'll uh, have Alex's we'll- boss on there. Lovely. All right. Um, he, Brian Slesky is always lovely. Mm-hmm. Cool. And um, we have folks from Waymo, Lyft, Neuro, Aurora, um, some newer uh, micromobility startups that people might not have heard of much, like one from Rwanda called Guru Ride, which is pretty interesting. What's the name of the guy from Rwanda who runs that? Uh, Tony Adesina. I think I've met him. He's, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, and um, of course, uh, two of our favorite investors, Riley Brennan and Olaf Sockers, will be of on a course. panel together. Right on. Uh, Amy Gu will be on there from Hemi. So um, it it should be a good uh, should be a good show. Cool. As long as you know everyone establishes, or as long as no internet connections drop. <laughs> well, good luck with that. I'm excited to to see it, and we'll definitely discuss. Um, you know the the what what comes up there um especially if there's any any news broken or anything so um look forward to seeing what happens and we'll discuss it next time on another episode of the autonicast